The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This morning we're going to be we're getting close to the end of 1 John, and so we're going to be looking this morning in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 13 through 17. 1 John 5, 13 through 17. Um, the title of my sermon is um, How You Can Know For Sure. Last week we talked about um, uh, what you can know and, and uh, how you can know. This week we're looking at how you can know for sure, kind of on the same theme. Uh, so let's look at First uh, John 5, 13 through 17. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Um, He uses the word know a lot in this uh, letter, and actually, especially here in this passage, as he's starting to wrap things up, and he wants us, as readers, as as, uh, those who are followers of Christ, to have some uh, confidence, some uh, absolute assurance and some truths that will change our life. And uh, in many ways, he's getting to the end. He's, he's, this is kind of his conclusion. He is um, wrapping things up, right? And so it's, it's good to think back to the beginning of the book where some of this started. And uh, at the very beginning, um, he tells us in John 1, 8 uh, through 2, 1, uh, these kind of contradictory statements. On the one hand, he says... If anyone says they don't have sin, they make God a liar. We all sin, right? And he says even, even in Christ, even as people who have received new life, sin is still going to be there, right? We, we, we never uh, will get to the point where we are sinless. But he turns right around and he says, but I write these things to you so that you don't sin, right? So it's kind of this truth that God, and, and he says, by the way, that when you sin, uh, which we just celebrated with the Lord's Supper, this great truth that when you sin, you know, if we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we celebrate in the, in the Lord's Supper, right? It's a great place to start remembering. Yeah, when we sin, there's grace. And it doesn't matter how many times we sin. Whoa, I just disappeared. How many times we sin... Tim's back there. You see, you like what I say. He just turns me off. There you go. <laughs> um, but how many times we sin, right? If we confess, God never says, oh, this is the 83rd time. No more forgiveness. No, there's always forgiveness, right? Uh, but uh, so, so God accepts us as we are, where we are. But he never wants to leave us there, right? He's never okay with us just staying that way. God always has a vision and purpose for us to become... Uh, different people who overcome sin, who conquer those things that are defeating us, and who live a holy life. He says, I write these things so that you don't sin. 
And, and it's, it's kind of like walking a tightrope. And John's aware of this tightrope. You know, you're walking that tightrope, and, you know, one step either direction, you fall off into an error. And on the one side is the error that says, well, it says do not sin, so I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> I'm just going to convince myself uh, that uh, sin's not a problem for me because I'm such a good person, and I, I just, I've conquered it all, and I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't, you know, slept with, in an immoral relationship, and, um, and I haven't told a blatant all-out lie. I haven't stolen, stolen money. I'm a good person, right? Uh, and uh, to do that, we really need to uh, overlook um, right, the log in our own eye. And oftentimes people who are in this way, they overlook the log in their own eye, but they are quick to pick up on sins in other people's life. Right? And, and the truth is we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our own life where we're not aware of how we are falling short of God's glory, how we are sinning. But that uh, blind spots get even bigger if we're not really honest with ourselves, right? And, of course, nobody it's not comfortable or fun to face up to our own failures and sins. So it's easy to live in those blind spots and just, just think, well, I'm just good. The Bible says I don't sin, and I don't sin. I must, I'm good, right? And, um, and we're, not, we're not probably aware of the, the danger that lurks ahead of us, how easily and quickly we could slip into sin, Right? And, and Paul says, you know, beware lest you, you, you who are pride, lest you fall, right? Lest you think, I'm beyond sin. And boom, you fall into it. And you're caught off guard, right? So that would be one side. It's like, well, I just don't sin. I'm just a good person, right? The other error, the other slip off the tightrope, the other direction is to be the person who says, well, yeah, I fail every day. I'm such a sinner. I'm constantly failing. I'm constantly sinning. But, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm broken. And I'm going to always be broken. And we just accept that as kind of our, our reality for the rest of our life. That's just the way it is, right? And, but praise God, He forgives me. And so I'm okay, right? Well, that also is, is, is not what John calls us to. He says, uh, and we'll see uh, uh, later on, he, he says, no, if you continue in sin... That's, that's a, a warning sign that maybe you are not even really a true follower of Christ. Because if you're born again, he says, you will be uh, gradually leaving sin behind. Right? It, it is a process, right? It is a process. But you should see progress in that, in that direction. That you are, uh, you are seeing victory. He says, uh, th- th- we have this victory, this confidence that we have overcome the world in sin uh, through the work of Christ. So, We've we've talked about that. So uh, John wants us to to be aware of both of these errors and walk in this fine line of being honest about our sin but always striving towards uh, conquering it, striving towards a life of holiness, of godliness, of uh, of, uh, a life that is Christ-like. So what we want to talk about today is how, how 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 do we deal with sin in our own life, right? Are we being really honest with ourselves about sin, uh, are we at the same time pursuing and experiencing real victory over these sinful habits and temptations? Right? Uh, and it, it is uh, sanctification. This is a process, right? It's not to mean that I have complete victory, but we should be taking steps. We should be experiencing uh, some victory. Um, so, and, and not only in our own lives, but as we'll see, 
it's not just a personal thing. It's not just about me. But I need to be thinking about and be aware of other people around me, other Christians, as they deal with sin. And how am I helping them overcome sin? Uh, what is our strategy to help ourselves and others walk in true holiness? Well, uh, to answer this question, uh, John tells us three things that we can know with confidence that will help us. Three things that we can be absolutely certain about. So let's look at those three things that we can be certain, that we can know. Uh, the first one is in uh, chapter Chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The first thing that we can know with incredible certainty and deep conviction is that we have eternal life. Uh, And he says, uh, first off, that this, this is a promise to you who believe, right? I write these things to you who believe, uh, First thing we, uh, and I'm not going to go into this in great detail because detail, he's talked about it so many times in the book, but we have this assurance of salvation first through our faith, right? Uh, he repeats this over and over in the book. To those of you who believe, who believe, who have faith, faith is the victory, right? Um, uh, we are saved by faith alone, not by our good works, not by our effort, uh, not by being a good person, right? Uh, we are saved purely by faith. Right? So when we talk about trying to be good, trying to overcome sin, we're not talking about doing that in order to be saved, right? in order to somehow deserve God's saving work in our life. That's not how it works. We don't deserve it, and we are not saved by anything we do. Uh, there is no such thing as getting merit in the Christian faith. Right? It is all by faith, faith alone. Um, um, it is by faith alone, but uh, it is not by faith only. Secondly, he says you have to have faith in the right thing. And he says our faith is in Jesus, right? To those who believe that in the name of the Son of God, in Jesus, right? Um, faith must have the right object. Um, and, and so faith, we see, is really the way we receive or appropriate the gift of God, the work of Christ. But it's actually the work of Christ that saves us, not our faith. Um, uh, and so we are to believe uh, in, in Jesus. Uh, and specifically, we are to believe uh, in, in what he has done for us, right? That he died on the cross like we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. He, he died. He laid down his life and willingly was nailed to the cross and that his death uh, took on himself, in his death, took on the punishment, the penalty for our sin. Right? And, and that is saving. But it's saving uh, not just because he died. Right? Um, I can promise you that if you sinned and, and I said to you, don't worry, I'll die for you. I could die for you. That's possible. It wouldn't help you. <laughs> right? Because my life is sinful just like yours. Right? Uh, in order for Jesus' death to be effective, in order for it to work, he had to be different than us. And so over and over in the book, uh, John has emphasized the fact that we must believe that he's the Son of God. Basically, two big truths we have to believe. First of all, that Jesus was eternal God. Uh, That he existed before the creation of the world. In fact, he was part of the agent in creating the world. He has always existed. He's eternal God. But there's a problem. God can't die. God is spirit. God is eternal. Jesus is life. Right? 
uh, in his eternal state in heaven, he could never die for our sins. But that's why God the Father sent Jesus the Son to earth. He took on human flesh. He became a person, a human being, a real human being with a real body just like ours that could die. And he lived a sinless, perfect life. And he laid down his life on the cross. And because he was both fully God and fully man, his sacrifice was effective. It worked, right? And so that's why John keeps emphasizing this. And it's apparent that in the church and among the people he worked with, there was some confusion about who Jesus was. And there were some that denied that Jesus was both fully God and fully man and that he, as the Son of God, died on the cross. So we've got to believe that. Um, otherwise, his death cannot be effective for sin. Right? That's what makes his death effective. And he says the result of this is we have eternal life. Uh, not that someday we will get eternal life. Right? He says we now have it. Uh, eternal life is not simply what we get when we die. Like right now life is temporary, and then when we die in this body, then it becomes permanent. No. He says that you now have eternal life. And so the eternal life is a certain kind of life. Um, it's not simply about how long we live or a matter of our existence. In fact, the Bible teaches that all human beings, all human beings, uh, will exist beyond the grave. They will have existence beyond the grave. But for those who are not in Christ, their existence will not be true life. Right? Like a flashlight or like your phone and it, that's operating, but the battery's getting really low. What do we say about our battery? Our battery's mostly alive, or do we say the battery is dying, right? Dying, right? And that's how it is. This will be life that's a life of dying, right? But eternal life is different. Um, and ultimately, what he means by this is uh, it's really a synonym for the life that is in Christ because Christ is eternal. The life that we have when we are saved is the life that comes through and from Christ. And it's a different quality and kind of life. So it's amazing. Right now, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are a different kind of being than you were before. You are a being with eternal life. Right? You are a being who is now part of an eternal kingdom. And you have access into the very presence of eternal God. Uh, we have the right to be the child of God because of this life. He says in John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right? We have that eternal life now. We have been changed into a different kind of person. Now, does that mean we're everything we're going to be? Well, no. He continues on, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we have this very different kind of life that's eternal. We have been, it says, seated. We are now, he says in Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians, we are now seated at the right hand of, of, of the throne of God in Christ. So you may think you're sitting here in Ching Mai in church, but spiritually you're actually sitting at the right hand of God on, on the throne that's ruling the universe. How cool is that, right? Somebody who thinks you're nobody, just throw that out. Oh, by the way, right? That's amazing, Amazing, right? That's eternal life. That's the life we have, right? Uh, so I don't want to dwell on that because I want to get to even better things. Uh, but this lays a foundation. So we have this, this eternal quality, this eternal kind of life, this different, very different kind of life. And from here he jumps into the second thing that we can know with incredible certainty and conviction. And that is in verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence that we have towards God. 
Okay, confidence, assurance. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And John actually uses, it in that word know, he uses a verb tense to really emphasize uh, the incredible uh, conviction of this knowledge. Right? This is a, an absolute, unending, ongoing kind of certainty. And it's an amazing promise of answered prayer. Right? We can ask anything, and God will, he assures us, will do it. He will answer. He hears our prayers. Uh, and it flows really out of this previous verse. These are not just random separated thoughts. Really what he's saying here is when you possess this eternal kind of life, you have a kind of access to eternal God, a kind of access into his presence that he, he attends to you, he hears you, and he listens to you um, in a way that's hard for us to imagine or fathom. Right? He hears. Right? He hears us because we are his eternal children. Um, as a father to his kids. Or even maybe a, a better example would be this, right? Uh, imagine a girl who has fallen in love. And uh, she, she believes that this guy that she loves is the guy. And so in time, they talk about marriage. They talk about it and they drop clues. And she's pretty certain that he feels the same way. And time goes on and they begin to talk more about marriage. But, but the guy still hasn't proposed yet. But then one day comes along and she notices that he's uh, asked her on a date and he's gone to an incredible detail in planning out this day, right? And he's arranged things and it's like, oh, like this is not just a typical date. And she begins thinking, ooh, I wonder if this is the day, right? And they go to the spot and there's secret can- cameras hidden all over to record the thing because now you have to post it on social media. Otherwise, it didn't really happen. And... Uh, and so there's people in the gallery hiding in camouflage, and she's starting to pick up that this is it. And he, sure enough, he gets down on one knee, and he pulls out this little box, right? And uh, he's about to, to propose to her. And she picks out her phone and starts scrolling through, you know, social media, messaging people, right? No, right? She is, she is tuned into this guy, right? She's not playing on her phone, she wants to hear what this guy's going to say, right? She is tuned in, 100% attentive. Well, when it says here that God listens to us, that's what it means, right? God hears, of course, God hears, God knows every human being's thoughts before they utter a word, right? This isn't like, well, he ignores everybody else. He doesn't know what they're saying, but he, no, he, what it means here is that he is attentive, incredibly attentive to us. He is tuned in to us. And he wants to know what's on our heart and our words. And he not only listens to, to hear us, but he listens with a heart and a will to, to act. He wants to respond to us. In fact, uh, it's hard, I think, for us to imagine that God is waiting in heaven, longing and looking for us to come, just like that, that girl is waiting for the word from her hopeful fiancé. God is anticipating that we will come to him. And when we come with those requests, he is eagerly tuned in and listening, wanting to hear our prayer so that he can respond and answer. Right, 100%. Uh, That's what it means when it says God hears us with the will to answer, to respond, to give us our request. 
and, and this, this, this is guaranteed. Right? This comes with a money-back guarantee, right? Um, he says. Now, none, see, none of you believe this, right? I don't believe it either, actually. Uh, so this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, we'll get to that part. See, that's the part that throws it off. We'll get to that. Uh, we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have, we've received, we've obtained already the request that we ask of him. He will absolutely grant it, 100% guaranteed. It will never fail, uh, he says. He doesn't say there's a good chance God will answer you. There's a good chance. We can feel pretty positive, like 90% sure. No, he says, we know. We know we have received what we asked for. Right? Of course, we know this doesn't work, right? We, we all know this doesn't work because we've all tried this, right? Raise your hands. No, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. How many of you tried this and it didn't work? Yep, me. I've tried it. It does not work, right? Right? I remember the first time I ever had my, my hugest, most disappointing failure in prayer. I was a teenager. I was out in the middle of the forest hunting for deer, and it was not going well. I wasn't seeing deer anywhere. I was beginning to wonder if deer even really existed. <laughs> like it was all just photoshopped or in somewhere, right? And I'm praying, God, I know you can do anything. You promised you'll answer my prayers. Just let me see a deer. I don't care if I shoot one. I just want to see one. Like, give me some hope that they really exist. And nothing, nothing. And I mean, I was praying earnestly, and I knew there was something that had to do with faith, so I was believing with whatever that meant, all the belief I could come up with. I was believing. I was grunting. I was groaning. I was foaming at the mouth, right? I even got down on my knees, I think. I mean, I was desperate, right? And nothing, nothing. Well, of course, um, there's that little, that little condition in there, right? 100% guaranteed when we pray according to his will. So we ask, whatever you ask, according to his will, he will do it. He guarantees. And, of course, we may feel like, well, that's kind of a ripoff, right? Like, that, that just, that's just lame, right? Because we, 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 we think, well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen whether I pray or not, right? So what difference does it make? Why pray? If God's just going to do it and it's his will, then why should I pray? And so I'm just not going to pray, and I'm just going to let God do what he's going to do, and I'm just not going to believe in prayer. Right? Uh, I don't think John would be up for that. I think John would say, no, you're missing the point. Uh, but we do have to ask the question, why pray if God is going to do it anyway? Well, that, that really shows really a misunderstanding on part, our part of how God works in the world in relation to his children. Right? And, um, you know, God is sovereign, and, and certainly God can and, and uh, has the power to work out his plan in a kind of deterministic way where God just does whatever he does, and it really doesn't matter what we do or don't do or if we pray or don't pray, right? But that's really to misunderstand what, what it means when it says God is sovereign, right? And, and God's sovereignty means he's free to choose, he's free to do things however he wants. He's not constrained by some rules or some, somebody else's uh, restrictions or policies, right? God is not governed by policies. He's governed by his own will and heart. And, and here's the thing. God has chosen in his sovereign will to work in conjunction with our prayers. That's how he's chosen to operate in the world. So in other words, God has chosen to limit his will and his activity and make it dependent at some level and contingent on 
our prayers. So what it means is when we pray according to God's will, he will do it. When we don't pray, um, he won't. Right? We won't see his hand work. Right? Um, at some level, at least with some things, John indicates here that um, God's activity in the world is dependent on waiting for our prayer and request. Now, I don't want to get into uh, you know, the sovereignty of God and how it could work that way and how God can be really in control of the world if he's dependent on us. I, don't, I, I can't answer those questions this morning and probably never <laughs> because it's a mystery beyond us. Like it's a, a mystery beyond it. And that's not actually the point. Uh, his, perp- his, uh, his point here is to give us confidence to know that however God does what he does in his sovereign side of the equation, on our side of the equation, we pray God listens and he acts. Therefore, pray. Right? Therefore, pray. Uh, don't, don't not pray. Because God will respond to, and he's promised to respond, he's chosen to work in the world in response to our prayers. So we should bother to pray. And, and the real question should not be, well, why should I bother to pray since God's going to do it anyway? What we should be thinking is, what is God's will, and how can I be seeing the hand of God move in powerful ways uh, when I understand his will and I pray accordingly? How can I be a, a part of what God is going to do in my life and in the world around me as a result of prayer? Right? Um, and that brings us actually to the third thing we can know. And the third thing he talks about that we can know is we can know that God will deliver people, uh, specifically Christians, from sin. Right? God will deliver people from sin. Um, and, and what this really boils down to, I think, is uh, in our prayer life, does our prayer life not work very well? Because we actually spend a lot of time praying for things that don't really matter. Right? Uh, we, we pray about things that maybe we actually should pray for, but we spend far too much time praying about things that matter little and very little or no time praying for things that matter much. Right? Um, John says, you can know that you have eternal life. We are eternal beings. But here's the question. As eternal beings, as people who are part of an eternal kingdom, as people who we know will live in God's presence for all eternity, here's a question for you to think about. How much time do you spend praying about things that are eternal? How much time do you spend praying for things that are eternal? I know in my own life, I spend most of my time praying for things that are temporary. Right? I pray for uh, my finances, my physical needs, my, a, a different car, a better house, uh, support, enough ministry budget. Right? Now, uh, we're commanded to pray for those things. It's not that we should not pray for those things, but uh, should that be the majority of our prayers? We pray for our physical health. We pray for healing, and we pray for protection. We pray that God will keep COVID away. And we pray a lot that God will make COVID go away. (laughs) Uh, People get sick, and we pray for their healing, for their physical body. Should we pray for those things? Yes, absolutely. We should pray for those things. But should that be the overwhelming majority of our prayer? We pray for our living circumstances, where we live, where we serve, how we get there, where we go to school, where we, you know, 
and again, should we pray for those things? Yes, absolutely. Certainly. And we're commanded to. But these are all temporary things. They're all things that will vanish and disappear. Your house will disappear. Your money will not last, into, will not go with you into eternity. Where you live, where you serve, even this physical body that does get sick sometimes is temporary. Right? Uh, what matters most, things that are eternal or things that are temporary? Things that are eternal, right? The things that are eternal. And so Jesus gives us uh, this promise uh, and puts all of that in perspective when he says in Matthew 6.33, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. God's going to take care of it, right? He says, he says earlier in that passage, you know, don't, don't worry. Don't have, you don't have to consider uh, where it's going to come from because God knows and he, he already knows and he's already got it taken care of. So, yes, we pray. It's a, it's, it's, it's a matter of faith. But that should not consume the majority of our prayer. And yet, if I'm honest, that does. When it comes to my, my requests and my petitions, that's, that's what I pray for the most. How much am I praying? How much are we praying for what is eternal? Well, that raises a good question. What is eternal? Are we supposed to pray for angels in heaven? <laughs> I don't think we pray for that, right? What is eternal? What does it mean to pray for things that really matter because they are eternal? Well, in this world and in our life, that really just means one thing. We pray for the souls of men and women, teens and children who will live forever. Right? That is what we pray for. So, so that's why uh, John writes here, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, you know, let's pray, he shall pray for that person, and God will give him life. God will give him life, right? Um, uh, the people sitting around you... Um, our eternal souls, um, eternal beings uh, on the scale and level of, of angels. We just happen to be trapped in this broken temporary body, but in, in our heart and in our spirit and our soul, we are eternal beings. And, and uh, how we live on this earth also matters for eternity, right? What a tragedy to come to the end of one's life and look back over their short time on earth only to see a life constantly tangled in the choking weeds of sin. You ever seen in Thailand out in the jungle trees that have just been uh, completely covered by these vines? They kind of grow up and they just choke out the whole tree, right? Uh, and eventually it will kill the tree if they don't whack down those vines, right? Uh, what a tragedy it would be to get to the end of your life and to know that you really missed out on God's calling and purpose and fulfilling God's ultimate plan because the weeds of sin and, and this world just, just constantly trapped you, right? Um, and, you know, eternity is a long time to go into with the knowledge that you just wasted your life, right? Eternity is a long time to look back on that and say, well, praise God, I was saved by Jesus, by his grace, he forgave my sins. But when I look back on my life, that's all I have to show for is the, the forgiveness of sins, and, and it was often because I never broke free of it, right? And my life never really counted for God. My life never really mattered, right? Uh, Eternity is a long time to live with that, right? And praise God, by his grace, 
I don't think we're going to be depressed. <laughs> but uh, is that what we want, right? Well, John says it, it should not be that way, for one. He says if you're truly born again, it won't be that way. Praise God. But part of why it won't be that way is because he calls us to pray for each other. Right? He calls us to pray with conviction that this is God's will to see the power of sin broken in, in the people's lives around us. Right? If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. And life here doesn't mean eternal life because he's, we're praying, and we'll see in a minute, we're praying for those who are believers. Right? We're praying for those who, who have been born again. But life here, I think, can be contrasted to uh, what Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so life means a life of overcoming, a life of conquering, a life of, of fulfilling God's purpose and living uh, out Christ's life in us, right? It's his life. He is life. And so uh, to have life means that we are living Christ's life in us. John perhaps summarizes it best in 1 John 3.23 where he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Right? That's life. Life of abiding. Life of loving. Life of overcoming sin and walking in obedience. Right? And the amazing thing is he says here that God moves in response to our prayers. Right? When we pray and see next to us people who are struggling and sinning and we pray for them, uh, we have confidence that God is going to work and answer our prayers to break the power of that sin in their life. Right? You want to do a favor for somebody? You could bake them cookies. You could wash their car. That's cool. But to pray for somebody to see sin broke and its power broken in their life, that's cool, right? That's cool, especially if you live with that person, <laughs> right? We'll talk about that in a minute, um, right? What is God's will, right? What is God's will? Isn't it God's will that we walk in holiness and be victorious over sin, right? Isn't that God's will? Isn't it God's will and purpose that, uh, that we live a life filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, instead of the fruit of the flesh? Isn't it God's will that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ with the very love of God? Yeah, absolutely. That's God's will. Right? Isn't it God's will that we see each other delivered from the bondage of sin? Absolutely. That is God's will. So if you want to know how to pray according to God's will, it's, it's not hard. Right? There's, there's some good ones right there. Right? Now, there is a condition here as well. And he says, of course, that we're supposed to pray for those uh, who are committing sins that do not lead to death. He says, there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that we should pray for that. Uh, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Well, what in the world is he talking about here? Short answer. Um, some people think, and, and it's part of how we probably wrongly understand what sin is, uh, we think that well, what he's talking about here is there's some like, like sin is on a sliding scale of like small sins, like a little white lie, up to the worst possible sins, like, I don't know, murder, right? Genocide, horrible things, right? Um, and so we think there must be some point at which 
the sins get worse and worse and worse, and you cross a line, and anything over that line is so bad that the blood of Jesus can't cover it. Right? Um, but uh, that's not true, and it's not true for a couple reasons. One, because our, if we were to stack up sins, lowest to, to greatest, we would find that uh, depending on our culture, our list would be very different. Right? Culture, culture has a lot to do with how we see what's really bad and what's not really bad. Great example of that in Thailand here, and not to pick on Thai people, because again, this is cultural. We have our own, but it's just an obvious one for me, is that um, uh, prostitution is, is illegal, but basically ignored. But gambling is illegal and severely um, prosecuted, right? So it would appear by the way they implement justice that gambling is much worse than prostitution. And in the West... That's probably not true, right? We would probably flip that around the other way. But which is actually worse? Well, I'm telling you, you can make a pretty good case that they're both terrible. They're both equally wrong and destructive and equally sinful, right? It's our culture that that often makes this grading scale. And God doesn't have that scale, I'm telling you, okay? Uh, In fact, notice what Paul writes in Romans 1, 29 to 31. He says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, Evil, covetous, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And by the way, he says this is why they're condemned to God's judgment in hell. He's talking about a case for why every person is under God's wrath in Romans chapter 1. But notice, notice this list, right? Like he puts gossip and lying and being foolish right next to murder and hating God, right? How many of you have murdered somebody? <laughs> Hopefully nobody. If you have, God forgives you, right? How many of you have gossiped? How many of you have lied, right? How many of us have been foolish? <laughs> oh, buddy, right? Um, on God's scale, being foolish, murdering somebody, it's sin. It's sin, right? And praise God, all of it, there's nothing we can do that does, in terms of an act of sin, a deed, an evil deed, that Jesus' blood is not sufficient to cleanse, right? His, His blood can cover it all. So if you are a murderer, God forgives you through the blood of Christ. Amen. What grace, right? So, so he's not talking about that. He's not talking about the degree of sin. Rather, I think what he's talking about here is that there's a sin that puts us on a kind of path, a kind of trajectory, and the end of that trajectory is, is, eternal, is eternal death, not physical. He's not talking here about um, a death that could bring about physical, like you know, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, apparently bad idea, boom, died, right, physically. Uh, drink too much alcohol, go out driving, drunk, you could die, right? But that's not what he's talking about either. He's talking here about spiritual death, right? And, and uh, he's talked about that sin often in this book, often. Uh, chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, right? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. 
uh, chapter 4, verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Chapter 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Finally, in chapter 5, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So the short, well, apparently not a very short answer. The answer, I believe, that he's talking about here is the sin that leads to death is when we deny or distort or twist the truth about who Jesus is. Right? Um, and unfortunately, there are, there, are, there are religions in the world, whole, whole religions that claim the name of Jesus but do not ascribe to him deity as son of God and uh, humanity as one born in human flesh. Right? And so th- those would be heresies and errors that lead to death. Right? You, you cannot be saved because the only way of salvation is through the Son who's, who's forgiven us. And if we're not putting faith in that Jesus, who's the Son of God, fully man, fully God, we can't be saved, right? Um, and that's a problem in prayer. He says, he says, I'm not saying you should pray for those. He's not saying we shouldn't, right? We can't pray for those. But what he's saying is, the power of God to overcome sin is the cross and is the work of Jesus, right? So if you've discounted Jesus, there, there is no power available for you to, to overcome and conquer sin, right? It is, it is the work of Christ, the power of the cross that breaks, Romans 6 says, it breaks the power and bondage of sin over our life, right? So if we deny Jesus, we put ourselves on a trajectory that ends in death. And John was worried that there were some in his church who, who had said they were Christians, but they were starting to turn away and change their thinking about who Jesus was. That's a serious, serious sin, we, and we should pray for those. But he says we can't guarantee the outcome, right, because they've cut off the power that can actually help them. We should still pray, uh, but we, we're not guaranteed the same results. But the opposite is also true, right? If we're praying for people who know Christ... Uh, they have the power, and God has promised that he will work to break the power of sin over their life. Um, right? So, so just to wrap this up, we, 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 we do sin, right? We fall into sin. Uh, we fail. Um, but, but we can pray with confidence that God will break that power in our life, but even more importantly, in the lives of those around us. So, so here's the thing. Are there any people in your life, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who sin? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> right? Specifically, um, are there people struggling with their tongue <laughs> who say mean things out of control, speak out of the flesh? Anybody you know like that? Uh, do you know anybody who's just blinded to how selfish they are? or blinded to other areas of weakness in their life? Do you know anybody like that? Uh, do you know anybody who is, is often just unloving unlo- or constantly responding in anger? Right? 
Are you married to? I mean, do you know anybody like that? <laughs> right. Any of our children? No, right. Um, do you know anybody trapped by lust? Do you know anybody who's just constantly doing things that just aren't wise, that are foolish? Uh, does anybody in your circle of friends sometimes walk in the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit? Right? Do you know people who struggle with bitterness or have an unforgiving spirit? Uh, do you know people around you who are critical and judgmental, uh, constantly c- complaining, right? Do you know anyone who gossips from time to time? Of course, we, we, we do, right? We do. But the real question is when, we, when, we, when our spouse or our kids or our coworker or our pastor, <laughs> whoever, does those things, how do we respond to it? Uh, do we condemn them? Oh, God. So immature, right? Uh, why don't they just grow up? What's wrong with them, right? Is that what we do? Uh, do we get frustrated with them? Oh, I'm just so tired of dealing with their attitude, right? So now all of a sudden we're sinning, right? All of a sudden we're walking in the flesh. Um, do we rebuke them in anger? I'm going to tell them. I'm going to. I'm going to straighten them out, right? Because we're so much better. We're going to get that speck out of their eye, even though there's a log in my eye, right? Is that how we respond? Um, or maybe we just throw up your hands and say, well, you know, that's, we, we all sin. That's the way it is. You know, it's just kind of the way it is. We're all sinful. We're all broken. And that's just the way it is. Sad, but, you know, we just got to learn to live with it. Paul says, forbear with one another, so I'm just going to forbear, right? How do we respond, right? The real question should be, though, how should we respond, right? What should we do, Um what about, what about if it's in my own life? What if, I keep, what if I'm the one doing those things? And I sin the same sin again, 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 right? Uh, do we feel just defeated? Do we condemn ourselves? Do we try to hide our sins so that no one will know what a, what a failure we are, right? Um, if somebody just confronts us about the blind spots and the sin in our life, do we just deny it, get defensive, point out their sins? Well, you're just as bad, right? What do we do, right? How do, what do we do? How do we deal with this? Well, well John would say, uh, if you see your brother or sister committing a sin, uh, he shall ask God and God will give him life, Right? Imagine how things could be different. If this is true, imagine how things could be different if we just started praying for people when we see their sin. Wow, my my brother and sister, they're struggling with this. But I have a promise from God that if I take this and I pray that God would work out his will of bringing the fruit of the Spirit in their life, giving them victory over that sin, giving them self-control, giving them a spirit that's submissive to his will and to come under the power of the cross. I'm going to pray for that for them until I see deliverance. Right? Would we be different people? Right? Would the church be different? I believe it would. Uh, because we have this assurance that if we, we, we know that he hears us whenever we ask and we know that we have, that we have the request that we have asked of him. That's the promise. That's the confidence we have. That if we pray for our struggling brothers and sisters, that God will answer. 
right? And, and I've seen this work, right? I've experienced this uh, with people I've seen struggling in sin, and I have taken that thing to prayer, and I have seen God deliver. Uh, and it's, this, this has a 100% guarantee, right? This works. This is prayer that works. And the amazing thing is that it works for eternity, Right? If you change, if you turn turn the trajectory of a person's life away from that sin, if you pray and see healing and maturity and restoration in a person's life, it has eternal consequences in them, in their relationships, in their family, in their children, in their work, and how their life brings glory to God. Right? It has eternal consequences. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.